Good morning. morning. Amen. Man, I love worshiping the Lord. I just tell you what, I mean, we never should take for granted our times together when we worship God and we're just here in His presence, just honoring Him and worshiping Him. I mean, it's just so, just so real and so tangible. You know what I mean? It's like you just feel just so connected to the Father in that very moment where you're just singing the songs, or whether you're singing or not, maybe you're just standing there, maybe you're just sitting down, and you're just, man, I just feel so close to God right now. You know, it's the reality of God, folks. I'm talking about the reality of God that wakes us up to understand that there is hope. Because if you don't believe that there is a God or if you believe that we're just in here telling a bunch of stories from a book that's thousands of years old that's not relevant for my life today, then you're not going to understand that real genuine connection to the Lord, that real genuine connection that requires that trust in Him. Because if we believe He's real, if we believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then we believe that what He said yesterday is still good for today, right? Because we can trust his word. We can trust that when he says it, he means it. That when he says it, that he means it. For you and for me, for my family, for this church, for anyone who chooses to believe. Amen. We've been talking for the past six weeks about faith. We've, uh, we're going to conclude this series today on Now Faith Is and wanted to give you little highlight recap there of uh, some things just to help you remember and stir your faith and stir you up today. We've been talking about now faith is. Faith is now. It's right now. It's not gonna be. It's not yesterday. Faith is right now. It is something that stirs up hope. And it is something that enables us to reach beyond where we are and trust God and trust that he is good. Amen? You see, stirs us up to believe that his promises are for me and my family and that God can be trusted. That's what faith does. It helps me to recognize and realize and stir up the fact that I can trust God. Some people are on the fringe. Some people are on the edge. Some people don't know if they can really trust God. Sometimes it's easy to trust in the things that we can see, the things that we can grab a hold of and make sense of, the things we control, the things we can rationalize in our own minds. But sometimes when we look at God, we say, there's no way. Or we may say, if God wants to do it, I guess it'll happen. Or I guess if maybe I'm good enough, or if maybe I can somehow earn this or deserve this, then maybe God will do this for me or fix this situation in my life. But faith looks beyond that. His promises are for me and my family, and he can be trusted. We've got to get that in the core of who we are, that this word is just as good as it is for me as it is for you. Amen? You see, for us to grow in our faith, we have to have a vision beyond where we are right now. And if you're taking notes today, I want you to write this title down, Sowing Forward. For us to grow in our faith, we have to have a vision beyond where we are right now. I looked up this word vision in Webster's Dictionary, and it means this. It says, a manifestation to the senses of something that is immaterial. A manifestation to the senses of something that's immaterial. So basically, vision is an awareness 
of something to me that I'm aware of. It says it's a manifestation to my senses. So I'm, I'm, I, I feel this or I have an inner knowing. I just, I'm aware of this. I'm aware of this thing that hasn't yet happened, but I'm aware of it and I desire it and I want this thing to happen. I have a vision. I see beyond where I'm at and I'm aware of this thing. I'm aware of where I'm going. I'm aware of what is ahead of me and what is in front of me. That means... I want you to get this. I want you to write this down. That your degree of investment is dependent upon the degree of your vision. You see, you'll invest in things that you'll believe in and things that you have a vision for. Something that you truly believe in and that you see beyond where you're at, you'll invest in those things. I remember when my, uh, when my wife got pregnant with our first child, I was severely overweight. I weighed almost 300 pounds when my wife was pregnant with our first child. And uh, I was extremely lethargic. I wasn't taking care of myself. I, 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 was, I was always got out of breath. I wasn't uh, healthy at all. And I was 23 years old, 23, 24 years old, in terrible shape. And, but when I heard that my wife was pregnant, when she said, honey, I'm, I'm pregnant, and we got everything confirmed, you, you, you want to know something? I, I began to have a vision of me spending time with that child. I didn't know if it was a boy or a girl, but I began to have a vision of me playing with that child and seeing beyond my current reality because my wife didn't look any different. All we had was just the news from the doctor that we were pregnant. But yet it began to change the way I did things because I became aware. I said, you know what? I want to be able to play with my children. I want to be able to run with my kids and not get winded and not be able to, you know, do anything with them because... Either I'm sick or I'm just lazy and lethargic or because I'm unable to physically. I said, I've got to change. So all of the things that I used to do, guess what? I had to change them if I wanted to see that vision come to pass. You know, I I had to see beyond where I was and I had to adjust and I was willing to invest. And that investment meant sacrifice. That investment meant change. And that's what I had to do if I wanted to see what I saw and what I wanted in that vision. You see, that means that the greater my vision, the greater the investment I'm willing to make, the greater the sacrifice that I am willing to make. And I went from almost 300 pounds down to 220 pounds before my son was born. And I worked hard, and I had to choose to eat different things, and I had to make different choices, and it was a sacrifice, and it wasn't fun at times. You know, I'm I'm ordering water, you know, instead of a soda. Or I'm, uh, you know, having to chew on a celery stick. Oh, yeah. Any celery fans out there? Oh, there's a few. God bless you. But you see, I was willing to make those decisions that may have not been very fun for me or that may have been tough because I had a vision. And really, a vision starts with a desire. It really starts with us wanting something enough to be willing to invest in it, to be willing to see that this thing has merit, that it has value, that it's worth something. And you know, the degree of that investment is depending on the degree, the degree of that vision. So if you have your Bible, flip over to Romans chapter 12. Very familiar scripture that I've taught on many different times here at Word of Grace. Romans chapter 12 says this, Paul's writing to the Romans. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Okay? 
So Paul was telling these Romans here, he said, listen, I'm beseeching you on behalf of the mercies of God. In other words, I'm imploring with you. I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you on behalf of the mercy that God has shown you to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. He said, listen, this just makes sense. It's, it's a reasonable act of service. He said, this is just reasonable. This is a reasonable exchange here, okay? I mean, it just makes sense that the fact that God has given you so much mercy. Has God shown anybody any mercy in this room? Let me see your hand this morning. And, and Paul's saying, listen, I, he wasn't going up to him and patting him on the back. Oh, hey, I was just wondering if y'all wouldn't mind, you know, presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice. If, it, if, if you have time, if it, you know, it'd be a nice thing to do because God sure has done a lot for you, hadn't he? He said, no, I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you based on the mercies of God, the mercy that you've been shown. It just makes sense. It just makes sense because he's shown you so much mercy and you didn't get what you really deserved because of the mercy of God and the love of God. And it just makes sense for us to want to give him everything. And to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And that's what Paul was telling them to, to catch a vision, to clearly see the mercies of God. And if they clearly saw the mercies of God, if they clearly got a vision, if they clearly understood the mercies of God, it would cause them to present themselves as a living sacrifice. Because you will sacrifice and you will sow and you will invest in the areas of your life that you have a vision for. You are sowing forward. You are sowing forward forward is what you're doing you're investing you're sowing in something that you believe in something that you think is a worthy cause just like uh anybody ever have to save up money for their first vehicle in this room you had to work hard and save up money i had to i had a 1970 ford torino and everybody's like oh that's cool no it wasn't that cool because you get out of that thing smelling like gasoline man I mean, you got that thing stinking so bad. And it, I mean, my, it, it was cool, though. I mean, because it, 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 was, it was a huge car, you know. It almost took up both lanes of the road. It's just so big, you know. All Starsky and Hutch. I could slide on the hood, you know, if I waxed it real good. And I didn't even need a, a slide. I could just slide on the hood. It's just a massive car. And I had uh, some big tires on the back of it with white raised letters on them. My dad, uh, since I bought my car, he bought me uh, uh, air shocks for the back so I could raise up the back a little bit. You know, I had the back with the big tires and I had smaller tires on the front. And when you'd start that thing, you'd go, whoa, 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 whoa. big 351 Cleveland engine in it. It was awesome. But you want to know what wasn't awesome? When I would get next to somebody on the strip, and here I am, a 16-year-old kid. You know, here I am on the main strip of our little town in Arkansas, and that guy in his little four-cylinder would go, and I would go, and my gas gauge would go, boop. Yeah, I got a good seven miles to a gallon on the highway in that car. It was the worst gas mileage ever humanly ever conceived in that car. And then you get out smell like gasoline. So, you know, it was, uh, it was a cool car, but I worked hard for it. You know, I only made four seventy-five an hour when I started working. That was minimum wage back then. And that's what I made. And, and I worked overtime. I worked the days that no one else was willing to work. Instead of going and hanging out with my friends on a Saturday, my boss would call and say, Hey, Derek, can you come work on this Saturday? I would say, Absolutely, because I had a vision. I wanted something. I saw it, and I wanted this car, and I wanted to have my own vehicle, and I was willing to sacrifice for it. I was willing to 
do something that others may not have been willing to do, but yet I saw it and it motivated me. Instead of taking that money when I'd look at my bank account and go, oh man, I'm, I'm doing pretty good for a 16 year old making 475 an hour. You know, I could take that money and buy all kinds of stuff. I had a vision, I had a purpose. And that's what vision does, folks. It gives you purpose, amen? Vision gives you purpose. When you can see beyond where you're at, when you can see the things that are ahead of you, you're willing to make the sacrifices to get there, just like I was with my weight loss, just like I was, uh, you know, when I became debt-free. If you want to be debt-free, you've got to make sacrifices. It doesn't just happen because you went to Financial Peace University. You've got to do what the man says, right? Amen? Amen? You know, a lot of times we just sit back and wait for God to do things for us. And we figure if we're good enough or if we hold our mouth just right, that God will like us enough. And then he'll just fix everything. But God's saying, no, I need you to step out. I need you to do your part because here's what faith does. Faith sees beyond your current reality. It sees beyond where you're at. It sees beyond the struggle. It sees beyond the confusion, the how-tos, all that stuff. Faith sees beyond that. It sees what God has in store for you. And in Hebrews chapter 11 is a verse that we have went over many times in this series. But let's read it one last time here together in Hebrews 11 and 1. The Bible says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Okay, let's read this again. Let's think about this. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence... Of things not seen. Faith sees beyond my current reality. Do you remember the definition of vision from earlier? It was a manifestation of the, to the senses of something that's immaterial. It's my awareness of something that has not happened yet. And faith is the substance of those things hoped for. Here's what uh, we, we could say this. That faith is vision in action. Faith is that thing that God has said in action. It is us living that out and doing that because we see it beyond our current reality. Because acting in faith based on the word of God moves the hand of God in your situation. Acting in faith and trusting God in faith moves the hand of God in your situation. A lot of people want peace. A lot of people want joy. A lot of people want financial prosperity. A lot of people want a good, healthy, strong relationship. They want to have a good marriage, good godly children. They want to be respected. All of these different things. They want to be healthy. We see all these things, but you've got to act in faith based on the Word of God, not on pity. Because how many of you know that God doesn't respond to us being pitiful? (laughs) Look at somebody and say, don't be pitiful. Come on. I mean, come on. Don't be pitiful. God doesn't, that, that doesn't move the hand of God. That doesn't, he doesn't see that faith. It's, it's faith. Matter of fact, the Bible says that without faith, that it is impossible to please God. For he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You see, it's not our emotions that moves the hand of God. We can get all emotionally riled up and stoke that emotional fire and just have a big burning blaze. And and it doesn't move God, you know. Not complaining, you know, complaining doesn't really motivate God. God, if you wouldn't have given me this woman, right? Mm, Amen or oh me, I don't know. Or God, you haven't given me anyone or whatever. Complaining, it doesn't do anything. Um, Not good works, you know. Good works, 
Don't move the hand of God. Not dropping money in the offering and saying, God, you owe me. <laughs> God, look what I did. Oh, now you owe me. That's, that's not, it's faith, folks. Amen? It's faith in trusting him and his word and what he said. That's what moves the hand of God. Now, I want you to see this in the book of Luke in the eighth chapter. Luke chapter eight. <clears throat> Luke 8 and verse 5 says, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. Excuse me. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell on thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, it sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? You know, the disciples weren't always the sharpest guys sometimes. They asked some pretty goofy questions. He says, What does this mean? He says, All right, guys, listen up. To you it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it's given in parables, that seeing they may not see, and that hearing... They may not understand. That's actually a prophecy of the Messiah there that's being fulfilled, that he would say that. And then in verse 11, he goes on to say, now this is what the parable means. The seed is the word of God. Those that were by the wayside are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy, but they have no root, and who believe for a little while, and then the temptation, you know, comes and they fall away. Verse 14 says, Now, the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, they go out and are choked by the cares, the riches, and pleasures of life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word, with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Jesus is trying to get these guys to understand something here. The sower sows the word. The word of God, the things that God said, the things that we have in the word of God. Those things are the ones that we can trust, that we can count on in the face of any situation or any adversity. So I want you to say this after me. The sower sows the word. And the word works every time. Mm. I'll let that bomb hit you for a minute. I want you to think about that because we say these things, but, but think about what we just said. The sower sows the word, and the word works every time. Because my God doesn't fail, right? Amen? The word works every time. Now, we can say that, but do we believe it? Do we really believe that God's word works every time? Do we really believe that every time that we stand in faith and that we trust God, maybe, you know, initially when we pray for our salvation to even become a believer, Every time that prayer of faith is prayed based on the word of God that we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is the son of God, that he died on the cross and he's risen for me and we make him the Lord of our lives, that he hears that prayer and that we're saved. Now, why do we know that? Why do we trust that that's true? Because a preacher said it? Because Billy Graham said it? Because we read it in a book somewhere? No, because God's word said it, amen? Amen. That's how we can know that it's true. And it works 
every time. God doesn't go, eh, I'm not saved. <laughs> That's not how it works. You do what he said to do, and then you're saved. You believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth. Amen? Straight across the board. That's how that works. That's how that works, and we've got to get this, that the word works every time. The sower sows the word, and that word always works. So you may be asking, well, how do, we, how do I sow the word? I mean, that's, how do I even begin to do that? And I was thinking, how could I explain this in a way that we could all get it? And that didn't take me very long, because as I drive around Wisconsin, I see corn everywhere. <laughs> We're like the corniest state ever, right? And I mean, <laughs> ba-doom, sorry. Just... Yeah, it didn't work, did it? I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, I've never seen as much corn in my life, seriously. I mean, it's like crazy, all the corn that's everywhere. All around my house, I'm surrounded by corn, you know. So I guess the UFOs have plenty of places to land and make their cool circles. But, uh, you know, when you see these big, massive tractors, and you see, I mean, just humongous, larger-than-life machinery just going down the road, taking up both sides of the road, just huge, you know. And I just look at all these fields that were plowed. And I remember uh, back in, in, in the winter when everything was just barren and everything was just dead. And it was just, you know, just so just sad looking. All these just open, empty fields. And now I see just all these huge stalks of corn everywhere. And I began to think, you know what? The farmer got something here. He understands something here. He gets it. He gets that if he does his part... And he takes the seed that he's been given that he's going to reap a harvest if he sows it. He understands that. He gets this principle that God set in motion. And because he believes in God and because he trusts in God, he's willing to invest in it. You know that farmers are some of the most faith-filled people you'll ever meet in your life? Farmers are full of faith because they invest so many thousands, if not millions of dollars in equipment, in hands to go out and work, in all of this stuff, in land, in seed. They invest all of this stuff trusting that God's going to do what he does every year. They trust every year that God's going to show up. Matter of fact, they get out there early and they begin to till the soil and they begin to make sure that it's properly fertilized. They check their soil to check the proper nutrients in the soil. They do all of this research in, their, in the farmer's almanacs to check the times and the seasons. They pay attention to the weather. They do all of this work all because they know that if they do their part, that God's going to do his part. Because you know what? A farmer can till up ground. A farmer can make sure his soil is right and work really hard to enrich it and make sure it's just the right level. He can make sure that it has the proper sunlight, proper water, and he's willing to invest all this money and time into it. But you know what that farmer can't do? He can't make that stuff grow. He can't do it. No matter how hard he tries, he can't grow. He can't grow. He can't just summon some power and make it grow. He can't do it. The farmer can't do it. No matter how hard he tries, someone else has to take over at that point. So the farmer really lives by faith. The farmer is really, he's really sticking his neck out there in faith, believing that God's going to do what he's always done. Because guess what? From the beginning of time, God set a law in motion. You know what that law is called? It's called sowing and reaping. Seed, time, and harvest. The Bible says that God established that law from the foundations of the earth. 
And because of that law, because of God's promise, because of what God said in his word, the farmer's got to believe it's true and he's willing to invest time, labor, money, and energy into it. And guess what? God shows up. Do you think the farmer's surprised when he starts seeing corn pop up out of the ground? Do you think he's surprised? He goes, corn, this is the craziest thing ever. What? I've got to go tell everybody. You won't believe I planted corn and I got corn. This is nuts. Of course we wouldn't do that. Of course the farmer doesn't do that. He was expecting because he knew what he planted and he knew that if he did what he was supposed to do and the way he was supposed to do it, that it was going to happen and that he was going to see that crop. He knew it. That's why he watered it. That's why he fertilized it. That's why he tended to it because he knew that if he did his part, that God was going to show up and do his part. Now, how come we can understand that and we can get that and we're not surprised when we see corn come up out of the ground? We don't sit there and worry over corn, but we worry over God giving us peace, or we worry over our finances, or we worry over relationships, or we worry over anything that's beyond our control, because guess what, folks? That seed, making that thing germinate and do all that stuff, that's beyond the farmer's control. He cannot control that. What about the things in your life that are beyond your control? Can you trust God for those things? Can you trust God for those things like the farmer trusts? The Bible says the sower sows the word. This is just like seeds, man. This is just like a seed, you know. If, if you plant it and you're expecting it to grow, then you're going to take care of it. You're, but so many times we're just like some of those people that Jesus just described. We hear it and we receive it with joy. We're glad and we're excited about it. But then when we get back home, we go, oh, that just wasn't, I guess that wasn't real. You know, I can't really have peace in my life. I guess my home's always going to be crazy. I guess I'm always going to be a person that lives in fear. A person that's always, you know, a worry wart. I mean, that's what they call my mom, you know. She was a worry wart, and I have, you know, anxiety all the time too, so I guess I'm just going to be a worry wart the rest of my life. And we begin to accept that that's the way it's going to be. Instead of planting the right things in our life and planting God's word and trusting that we can be people who walk above that junk that God intended us to walk above. Amen, somebody. You see, here's what the devil does. He has a little dynamo label maker. You know what I'm talking about, some of you organizational people? The little dy- you know, the one where you type and it prints it out the side and it has a little button that you push and it snips off the little sticker and you put it on all your stuff and everything's so organized and color-coded and sectioned off and... All that stuff. Those things are wonderful. Yay, dynamo. The devil has one of those. <laughs> and what he does is he types in there, worry wart, and he puts it right on your forehead. And you go, yeah, I guess so. I guess I'll let everyone else label me. You know, when, when I was a, uh, younger, I had, you know, just real fiery red, head, uh, red hair, and it's gotten darker as I've gotten older, but it used to be real bright red when I was younger. And people used to always tell me, oh, redheads, they have a temper oh yeah oh you know I, or, or, or they're always going to beat me like a redheaded stepchild i never understood that one who is that poor stepchild that got beat that one time that forever he always bared this label for all the other redheads to come down the road but anyways you know i, I could have accepted the fact that someone told me that because i'm redheaded i'm supposed to have a temper i'm supposed to be angry and i could have said you know what I, I guess that that is, you know, I guess it's just something in, in, in my DNA. I guess it's just something that I'm going to have to live with because I'm just, 
I'm just an angry person. You know, I just get, I just, every little thing sets me off and I'm always going to have to be angry. You see, what happens is, is that we allow these labels to define a vision for us. We allow these labels to define how far in life we can go and how far we cannot go. We let these labels say, oh, you can go this far, but this is about as successful or as happy as you'll ever be, so you might as well just deal with it. You know, you can only go this far because, you know, you're not ever really going to be that kind of person or have anything like that. Or, you know, my, my grandmother, she was always so sickly, and, and my mother was always sick all the time. I just remember her always being sick, and we always just had to run to the medicine cabinet all the time. We just always had uh, certain types of medicine in our house because we just knew we were always were sick. And I've been living that whole way my whole life, and the devil goes, sick, and pops it on your head, and you go, yeah, I guess so. And we limit how far we think we can go with God. And so therefore, we don't even try to trust Him with healing because when you hear a great message on healing or you hear someone talking about the fact that God wants to heal you, we don't even see that for ourselves because we can't see beyond our current reality. We just see this is reality for me. I'm never going to have peace in my home. There's chaos. I was raised up in a home where there was chaos. My, my parents were raised up in a home of chaos. I'm going to try to make it a little better, but you know what? It's still chaotic. I guess that's just the way it's going to be. That's all I know. You know, I'm only, uh, I, you know, we never had anything growing up, so, you know, I don't really expect to have a whole lot now. So, you know, I'm just going to let whatever happened, happen. And we have no vision, so therefore, how are we supposed to live by faith and walk in faith if we have no vision to see beyond where we're at? Because your current reality, it is what it is. I'm never going to be happy because this and this and this happened in my life. And we allow the devil to go, yep, unhappy, depressed, pop it right on our head. And we believe it. We look in the mirror and we go, yeah. I guess so. And we don't see beyond that. But faith, folks, I want you to understand, it sees beyond our current reality. Amen? That's what the farmer does. He sees beyond the current reality. Yeah, it's a barren field. Yeah, it doesn't look like anything could grow out there because it looks so barren and dead. But he knows that if he turns that soil and begins to do the work and he begins to put his faith in that if I do this, then I know that that law is going to come into place, then God can do what only he can do. Amen? You know, we really invest in what we believe in. We invest in those things that we believe in. We, we're willing to spend time in those things that we think are important. It's really, you know, Matthew uh, 12 and 34, it says that where uh, your treasure is, there your heart will be. I'm sorry, Luke 12 and 34 says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That, and it's talking about money, yeah, you know, where, where you spend your money. You can obviously tell someone's heart is there because they spend a lot of money on this or that. You know, some things are more important to other people. But the treasure of your time, where do you spend that? Where are you investing the treasure of your time? Because how many of you know that time is precious, amen? How many of you know that, you know, I mean, it, it, no matter how many labor-saving devices we have, it just seems like there's never enough time. Did you know I, I read this in a, uh, on, actually I heard it I think on, on the news. They said a newspaper from like the 60s, like uh, the New York Times or some big paper that's been around for a long time. It said um, that in the 60s they said that when we get to the year 2000 that there are going to be so many labor-saving devices that every man will only have to work about 10 to 15 hours uh, a week. Because there's going to be so many devices that are going to do a lot of the work for us. And we're going to be so, so productive with that that we're not even going to have to work as much. How many of you guys have seen that happen in your life? Because of these wonderful labor-saving devices. 
I think they're labor-creating devices. You know, I got a scheduler on my iPad, my iPhone. I got it all synced up with my laptop at home, and it's con- connected to the one at work. And then, you know, I get instant messages, and then we went through the whole weird pager phase. I don't know if you still use a pager or not, but anyways, you know, some people still do. All these different ways that have just made us busier that were supposed to actually make us, you know, in the 60s, they thought would give us more time. Each one of us are given the same amount of time every day. It's what we do with it that matters. Amen? It's what we do with it. It's what we invest it in. Where is our heart at? What are we investing our heart in? What are we giving our time? What are we giving our thoughts to? What are we giving our money to? What are we investing in? It's the things we believe in, the things that we believe are most important to us. But the farmer's willing to invest because he knows that if he prepares the ground, the seed's going to grow. You see, we say we believe God. And we say that we trust him, but are we investing ourselves in his word and in his truth? I mean, yeah, we say, yeah, God is great. God is good. Thank him for this food. He's a good guy. He does good things for me, you know, and I love God. And sometimes that's about as far as we go in our walk with God. I'll just be a good, moral, upright person, and that'll be, you know, that'll be good enough. And we never really understand that God wants us to live above so much more in this world He wants us to live above depression. He wants us to live above all of this junk that the enemy tries to throw our way, the stress. He wants us to understand how to to deal with these things and how to properly deal with them and, and lay our burdens on him and begin to walk in freedom from addiction, walk in freedom from all of these bondages and chains that have held us all of our lives or that have held us for generations. He wants us to walk in freedom to those things. You know that? But for us to do it, we've got to begin to trust him and we've got to step out and invest ourselves in his truth and align ourselves to his truth. Amen? Because if we really believe him, then we're going to be invested in his truth. I mean, if we really believe him. Because faith is now. It's not yesterday. It's not going to be. It's right now. Sowing and trust. uh, Trusting God in our lives and in his word is right now. Let me show you something in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 4. Is this helping anybody this morning? That'd be weird if you said no. So, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Hebrews 4 and verse 12 says this. For the word of God is living and powerful. Somebody say living. See, it's living. And it's what? Powerful. It's living and powerful. I want you to get that. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him. To him we must give an account. Seeing then that we have such great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all ways tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You see, it says right here that the Word of God is living. I want you to understand that the, God, the Word of God is alive and it's active. This isn't just some book of great stories. This isn't just some book of great fortune cookie fillers. This is the living word of God that is powerful. Amen? It's not just good quotes for people to put those little sticky things on their walls. It's living, and it's active, and it's powerful. Amen? And the, the, it says it does something. What does it do? It says it divides. 
It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It says it pierces, even to the division of soul and spirit. It says that the Word of God divides the soul and the spirit. I want you to understand something, that the spirit is that perfect, renewed part of us, that part that was made new when we accepted Christ. That's the part of God's life, his nature, all that good stuff, recreating us. That's the 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if any man's in Christ, is a new creature. Because when you got saved, you didn't look a whole lot different physically, did you? You didn't end up looking like a supermodel after you got saved. Otherwise, we'd have a line out the door, right? Right? I mean, maybe some of you did. I don't know. But... You know, it's not an outward change to where I got a new hairdo. Whoa, I'm saved, and I got this really cool frohawk thing going on. I don't know. It's, that's not how it works. It's something on the inside that I can't see that changed, right? And that was God making someone who was spiritually a dead man on the inside because of sin. Him recreating me, and now I'm alive because his spirit is on the inside of me. But then there's this other part of us that's also in this body. This is soul, and it says that that there's a division of the soul and the spirit. Now, the soul is made up of three things, and that's your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's your reasoning. It's the way you think about things. It's your will, your desire, and then your emotions, how you feel about things. And the Word of God is alive and powerful, and it's dividing between those two things. Here's the deal. The Word of God is a sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's dividing between what is perfect and what I think is perfect. Oh, goodness. It's dividing between what I feel is perfect and feel is right and what really is right. Oh, I'm preaching better than y'all shouting. The Word of God divides between the way I think about something and what's really true. The Word of God is the dividing point. That's what the Bible's saying here. It divides between the soul and the spirit. So, that means that I cannot say, well, you know, God is a God of love, and I don't think that a God that truly loves someone would ever do something like this, or I don't believe anyone would ever really, you know, go to hell because a loving God would never send someone to hell if he really is love. Well, folks, scriptures tell us otherwise. You know that? He's still love. He's still just. He's a God of justice. He's the God who sent his son to die for the whole world, but we've got to believe in him and accept him. So here's the deal. No matter how I try to rationalize God or make him fit into my line of thinking, the word of God trumps that. The word of God's that sword that goes whoosh, right down the middle, and it cuts between my reasoning. Well, you know, I don't feel like, you know, God would do this, or I feel like God is doing this because. What does the Word of God say? Because that's the dividing point. It's the dividing point between how I feel and what's perfect. Amen? It's, it divides between the soul and spirit. It divides between that which is imperfect and that which is being uh, recreated and, 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 and being conformed to the image of the Son, and that which already is conformed to the image of the Son. That is His Spirit. That is God's life on the inside of us that is untainted, that is perfect, that is pure. Because you, 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 you can't mess up God. You know that? No matter how bad you mess up, you, you can't taint or mess up God. So He's perfect. His Word is perfect. His Word is uncompromising. His Word is forever settled. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? And because of that, that word divides between how I think it should go, how I think God should do it, what I think God is like, what I reason, how I feel about it, 
Because we live in a world that likes to base truth off of how I think and how I feel, right? That's, you know, I don't like this because that doesn't seem right. Well, what does the Word of God say? Should I base my belief off of what I think? And what? Let, let's think about this for a minute. What if God based everything that he did off of the way that we see him and our reasoning? What if God based everything off of our ever-changing emotions that he ever did for us? It would go a little something like this. God would come into church and he would say, oh, I'm glad you're all here today, but a few of you didn't shake my hand today, so and nobody said hi to me. And because of that, I'm not doing anything for anybody today. And then he comes in five minutes later. Oh, somebody talks to me. I feel better. I'll do something for a few of you guys. Man, whew, thank you. I feel so much better. And he goes, oh, I'm so mad because I heard about what you did. And then he goes over there and goes, why did you say that about me? I mean, come on. Now I He's all over the place. I just don't know what to do. What? Well, that's how we act. That's how we do things because we're all over the place. We may feel strongly about something one day and feel differently about it another day. If God were like that, then everything would be circumstantial and it would all be relative to what I thought and felt God should do and how he should do it. But folks, something's got to divide that. Something's got to change that. Something's got to pierce between that and it's the word of God because it's living and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. This is how this works. When I will teach the Bible on a Sunday morning to you, I will have people come up to me after a service and say, Pastor, that message was just for me. And yes, you're right. It was just for you because I made it just for you. Nope, I had no idea. I really wasn't trying to point you out of the crowd and pick on you. But God takes that word that's spoken to a lot of people and it sains through the filter of your life and your situation and your circumstances and the Holy Spirit makes that applicable for where you're at. So the person you're sitting next to today is hearing the same truth, but they may be hearing it in different ways because of where they're at in their life. Isn't that cool? It's how God works. That's how the Holy Spirit draws us to the Lord is what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit's job is to bring back a remembrance of all things and that he will draw men to God. And that's what he does. He's drawing you in that unique way that you're an individual. But at the same time, one person can share one message and God can take it and make it applicable to every person. It's the same truth just being heard through different filters and the Holy Spirit knows that. That's how it's alive. Isn't that amazing how you can come here week after week and you may have heard something or got something completely different out of the message than the person sitting next to you? That's because it's alive. It's, 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 it's alive. It's something that's quick and powerful and it divides between what is right and what I think, feel, and may reason is right. You see, we can hold firm to the truth because the truth of God's word is not based on what I reason, think, or feel. I want to read one more passage of scripture to you before we go this morning in the book of James. James chapter 1 and verse 5. It says this, and I, I want you to get this today as we wrap up this series this morning. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives it to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. 
So here God gives a promise. He said, if you lack wisdom, ask me. I will give you wisdom. He said, I give it to all liberally. He said, if you ask it, I'll give it. Verse 6 says, but let him ask in faith. He's got to ask in faith now with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord because he's a double-minded man. He's unstable in all of his ways. For, uh, verse 9. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he'll pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with the burning heat than it withers to the grass if the flower fails and this beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For he... For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brethren, for every good and perfect gift is from above and it comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation of shadow of turning of his own will he brought us forth by the word of his truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creation the bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from the father so i want to ask you this morning what are you investing in what are you sowing forward in because what do you want to see come to pass in your life? Sowing forward is not reactive, it's proactive. It's being proactive by investing in the right things so when the storm comes that I've already got my feet planted on the rock and on the solid ground and I'm going to be able to stand. Just like whenever you save up money and you're not thrown off track just because your furnace goes out because you were prepared. You were a wise steward. You set something back in case there was something there. You're not completely knocked off. Yeah, it may hurt a little bit, but you're not completely knocked off kilter because you were somewhat prepared for that. It's in the same way, investing in God's word, investing in his truth. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Bible says the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. You want to know what that standard is, folks? It's the word of God. That standard is his truth. The standard is his word and his spirit that is life-giving, that is always dividing, that is always separating between what's right and what we think is right. You see, God wants to heal. God wants to see you blessed. God wants to see you in peace. God wants to see you find that perfect spouse. He wants to heal your marriage. He wants to see you financially secure. He wants you to walk in real joy. He wants you to walk in real contentment. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. But here's the thing. Are you willing to truly trust God and step out in faith and act on it right now before you see the results? Are you willing to act on it now? Are you willing to invest in that truth? Are you willing to invest in it? Maybe you're believing God to bless you financially. But you're not spending your money wisely and you need some help budgeting. You need to do some things right and God can bless that because that's biblical, folks. We don't just sit around hoping God just changes everything while we sit down and do nothing. 
We've got to be proactive. We've got to trust. We've got to plant. We've got to water. We've got to till the ground. And then take our hands off of it and let God do what only he can do. Amen? Amen. I want to ask you, are you willing to trust God no matter how difficult it may be? For us to walk in the now faith, the now kind of faith, the now faith is faith, we must see beyond where we are, beyond our current reality, and we must begin to trust and obey God to get us where we need to go because we know that every good and perfect gift comes from God. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads this morning? If you're here today in this service and you say, Pastor Derek, I want to know Jesus. I want to have faith to be able to trust in Him. I want to know that I know that I'm right with Him. If that's you in this place and you say, I need to give my life to Jesus Christ today, I want you to just simply let me know you're here by lifting your hand and putting it back down. I see that hand. I see that hand. Anyone else in this place today? Thank you, Father. I see that hand. See, more importantly, God sees these hands. But I want you to understand something about what we're about to do. It's your faith in what you're about to pray and what you're about to do. It's your faith, your trust that that's going to make you right with God. Because the Bible says in the book of Romans that if we confess with our mouth and if we believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He died and that He was buried and He was risen from the grave. It says that we'll be saved if we believe He is truly the only way, if He's the way to the truth and the life. If we believe in Him and we commit our lives to Him, we trust Him, that that will make us right with God. And if you're willing to do that today, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Church, would you help us pray? Say, Dear Jesus, I ask you, into my heart today to make me right with God. I believe that what you did on the cross was good enough to forgive me of my sin and make me right with God. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for saving me. I commit my life to you from this day on. In Jesus' name, amen. You can look back up here, church. If you said that prayer...